0: A mental illness is a medical condition that causes mild to severe disturbances in thinking, perception, and behavior. Recovery is possible, but there are many misconceptions about mental illness which can lead to a wide variety of problems, like trouble finding work or housing. As part of WFUV's Strike Accord campaign, this week Cityscape is focusing its attention on mental illness and efforts to combat the stereotypes. Good morning, I'm George Boracki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Last month, I talked with actress Glenn Close, who co-founded an organization called Bring Change to Mind. The group works to combat the stigma of mental illness. She co-founded the organization with her sister, Jessie Close, who's diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Jessie's son, Kaylin Pick, is diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder. So after you learned that Jessie and Kaylin had mental illness, Glenn, did you start to question the behavior of other people in your family, even those who you were around while you were growing up?
1: Um yes, I mean you we've since learned um how riddled our family is with serious depression with um probably you know, schizophrenia um and our grandmother my my mom's mom was probably serious seriously depressed uh, so there's a lot of suicide and depression, a lot of drinking.
0: Glenn, you co-founded an organization called Bring Change to Mind to help break the stereotypes about mental illness. How did that all come about? What came first, the diagnoses in your family or the organization?
1: The diagnoses in my family. And um, when Jesse had or initially been diagnosed and not completely diagnosed, um, we were at again at our parents' house, and you and Jess came up to me and said, um, "I need help because I can't stop thinking about killing myself." Mm-hmm. And so that was was straight you know, because McLean had helped uh, Kaylin so much. Um, that's where I took Jess, checked her in, and it was then that you know she was properly diagnosed. Um, you know, there's so many incredible nonprofits. Um, and and you get a lot of requests, you know, to show up. And, and I have friends whose who's nonprofits I respect, and I try to show up for them. But it all of a sudden came very, very clear that right under my nose was something that, that um, affects not only my family, but millions of other families. And that the best way I could use my celebrity was to focus on the issue of stigma, discrimination, but only if – my sister and my nephew would have the courage to come out um, as living with mental illness because it's not about me. I, I, you know, they, they have had an amazing amount of self-determination, which is you need to have that if change is going to happen because people need to hear people's stories. And they, I made the phone call and I said, would you be willing to out yourself uh, as living with mental illness in a national campaign, and both of them said without hesitation, not even I'll get back to you tomorrow. Mm. It was yes, mm-hmm. Glenn. How have you
0: seen stigma impact the lives of people living with mental illness?
1: Well, I read something very recently written by wonderful Norman Sartorius and some of the other of our scientific advisors. Norman like a global um, guru, or w- with the stigma. And it said that, in the most basic level for quality of life, people need a home, a job, and a friend. Mm. Historically speaking, people with mental illness have lacked all three, and I think that has to change because I think it becomes a matter of, of you know, human rights, And I think we need to change the laws in our in our country because I think sometimes the laws have to come before the changes in attitude and behavior. But it's, to me, a huge human right question that everybody uh, should have the right to a home, to a job, and to a friend. And I think stigma uh, keeps a lot of people from seeking help that will make them uh, well enough in order to have a job and uh, be able to articulate what's happening to them so that their friends will understand and they'll have friends, and then have the wherewithal, hopefully, to establish a home. So I think I think that stigma is is right at the core of of what needs to be change, um, but I think we also hopefully need to have um, a lot of pressure put on our government to uh, change the laws and to put money uh, where it's needed as far as uh, early intervention and um, care on a on a community basis.
0: You can listen to a much longer interview with Glenn Close and family on our website, wfuv.org slash cityscape. People living with mental illness are often affected by the stigma attached to it, as we've been hearing. In 1944, some psychiatric patients formed a group called We Are Not Alone for those feeling socially isolated by their mental illness. The group evolved into the Fountain House, which now has over 400 clubhouses worldwide. Ken Dudek is the executive director of Fountain House. I recently talked with him at their Hell's Kitchen location in Manhattan. Ken, what's the history of the Fountain House?
2: Fountain House was f- uh, founded in 1948 by a group of former patients and two volunteers, and it was organized to help people who were coming out of the state mental hospitals at that time. And actually, we continue to work with the group of people who have the same issues now.
0: I understand that the Fountain House has something in
2: common with Alcoholics Anonymous. We do, actually. Our history, we, uh, the original members of Fountain House came from Rockland State Hospital, and one of the original AA groups was founded at the same time at Rockland State. And we have a couple of uh, pieces of our operation that are similar. Such as what? The, the, the therapy of Fountain House, if you will, is our community. And in the same way that the AA program uses their larger community to actually help people recover, that's also been our methodology. And that's one of the things we have in common. We also have in common that uh, we have a big emphasis on using the people who have the illness as part of the operation of the program, and that's a big piece of of what happens at Fountain House.
0: So essentially they're helping
2: to run all of your divisions here. Yes, yeah, so members of Fountain House are involved in every aspect of the operation of Fountain House, from the board of directors into the most basic operation of cooking our lunch, if you will, and Uh, The members, basically, uh, kind of part of membership is you volunteer your time, and in exchange for volunteering your time, we try to present opportunities to people around work or school or housing or helping somebody develop a social network. So what does it mean to be a member? Are there certain requirements? Um, It's pretty minimal. Well, one is that we ask that you contribute some time and effort and that uh, you are, are somebody who actually comes here in order to be a member of Fountain House, you have to have a diagnosis of either schizophrenia or bipolar or major depression. Um, and so that's who our membership is. beyond that, uh, you have to come from New York City or thereabouts and and then uh, you have to be willing to participate in the operation of the program to some extent. Some people will like give us ten minutes. And some people will give us 60 hours. Um, and then what we do is we will help people go and get paid jobs out in the community. We help people go back to school, get their degrees. We have a whole network of housing throughout New York City. We have apartments. We have about 400 people that we house. And so that's the kind of the way the whole community works.
0: Are employers receptive to hiring people with mental
2: illness here in New York City? Yes. We, we have had relationships with some employers that go back 20, 30 years, actually. Uh, Publicis is one of our employers, Cravath, uh, Swain & more. I mean, we have a whole variety of very big companies. The Dow Jones is one of our companies.
0: Have you found yourself having to convince anyone that might be reluctant to hire someone with mental illness?
2: Yeah, unfortunately, and now the times are worse. I mean, uh, unfortunately, people connect uh, mental illness to trouble, if you will. And, um, It's not accurate, but that's the general perception of the world. Actually, the best technique that Fountain House has in this is actually to introduce people to people. And what we find is is if you spend some time with a person, well, you have a completely different take. I mean, ultimately, uh, mental illness or, let's say, schizophrenia is actually a diagnosis. It's a label like any other kind of diagnosis the problem that's happened is is that the name itself has become connected through the media in a lot to a large extent and other and real things that have happened to that people with mental illness or have some kind of violent tendency or something like that and and it's you know it's not true but it's very hard to convince the public of that especially when every once in a while there are real people with mental illness who do real things and it gets, it gets blown up in a very big way. I think that what I, have, what I know is I've been doing this work for 30 years and I have met thousands of people with mental illness and I, ha, I know that 98% of the population are not, don't have any kind of violent tendencies. It's, what is true is that people with mental illness are often the victims of crimes more than they are the perpetrators.
0: Did your own attitude or understanding of mental illness change because you've worked in this field for so long now?
2: Absolutely. That's why I got into this field, actually. Um, I met a man early in my career who actually played with the Tommy Dorsey band. He was a trumpeter. And there he was in what at the time was a nursing home. And in the early stages when they started to close the state hospitals, a lot of people ended up, even young people, going to these nursing homes. And that's kind of where I started my career. Anyhow, I met this man, and he was just a very interesting man. You know, I was a 20-year-old, and he was kind of an interesting man to me. And I was fascinated about the music, and I was, how did this happen? And, you know, I became, began to understand that the illness had this really devastating effect on people's lives, but that really the people themselves were were just incredibly interesting, in a lot of cases intelligent, you know, Um some, some of the brightest people I've ever met. Uh, and, and so it, to me, it seemed like a large injustice and continues to seem like a large injustice to me that if you end up with one of these labels, then you, then you are kind of stigmatized for the rest of your life. I saw a
0: statue downstairs of a ballerina, a bronze statue of a ballerina. Was that created by one of your members?
2: Yeah, there's an interesting story with that. Fountain House has a gallery. About 10 years ago, I realized that there were a whole bunch of members of Fountain House who were artists. They were just practicing their art. And like all artists in New York City, they don't really make a living doing it. But it is their vocation, and it really is their passion. So we have this gallery now, which we've had, and and artists from, about 40 artists from Fountain House show their work. Anyhow, I met this, uh, I do a little amateur sculpting myself. So I met this member of Fountain House who was a, a great sculptress. And she, she, had, she was at one of the events, and she had these small uh, pieces. And I, I thought, wow, those are beautiful, and they're made out of bronze. And she had a book next to her. And, and in the book, so I, uh, I opened the book, and I said, oh, where's this ballerina? I said, why didn't you bring this ballerina? She said, well, because it weighs 500 pounds. And I said, What? And she said, yes. She said, I made this ballerina. I said, where is it? And she says, it's in a storage space in upstate New York. And I said, oh, we have to get this thing to New York City. And so together, she and I made this uh, arrangement, and we brought the ballerina to Fountain House. Now, we are looking for a, a more permanent home for it. I mean, it, it is a beautiful, beautiful sculpture. It's, it's made out of bronze, and the skirt is made out of ballet sh- the slippers, let me ask you a bigger question, and that is, what do you think needs to change legislatively to help people with mental illness? Well, I'm very clear actually. There has to be well two two things. There's become too great a reliance on Medicaid and Medicare funding for mental for public mental health programs, and that. Uh, Everybody knows that in order to have an effective program to help somebody, you have to have a good medical piece, you have to have a good psychiatric piece, and then you have to have a good what they call social service piece. Well, the problem is, is that the Medicaid pays for the first two, but it doesn't pay for the third one. And I think right now, places like Fountain House and other places are struggling because there needs to be more of this. I mean, Fountain House itself is okay, but, but other places like Fountain House are really struggling. And, and I think that in order to be successful, that, that kind of, uh, there has to be more emphasis on developing those kind of community support programs in order for people to be successful. What I believe is the biggest problem right now for people with mental illness in, in all, this whole country is isolation, I think that what's happening to people is, is that they're ending up alone. You know, People get out of the hospitals now very quickly. You only go in the hospital for a week or two if you go that long. And they have did these studies that showed basically that the average person only sees their doctor for like 15 minutes a month and get no other help at all. And that just doesn't make any sense to me at all. And I know then what happens to people is they end up in a room by themselves, someplace in this. I, I was envision it in the city, and and in, and then they end up getting ill again because there's nobody there for them. And so what I think is is you need to build these places, you know, like Fountain House and other places, that will support that group of people so that they're not isolated. And therefore, you know, they'll be able to kind of move on with it. Um, I don't have a lot to say about what happened in Connecticut, you know, but one of my thoughts about the whole thing was is that it would have been great if, if that person had had a community to support him, and that maybe, maybe it would have been better. You know, that's my only kind of contribution to that whole discussion. Ken, thanks so much. Thank you.
0: Ken Dudek is the executive director of Fountain House. You can learn more at fountainhouse.org. You're tuned to Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. I'm George Borarki. As part of WFUV's Strike Accord campaign, this week we're focusing our attention on mental illness and efforts to combat the stereotypes. At the Fountain House, the emphasis is on relationships, member to member and member to staff. I talked with a number of individuals at the Fountain House who live with mental illness. Here are a couple of those interviews, including my interview with the artist who created the ballerina statue Ken and I were talking about.
3: My name is Robin.
0: Robin, what is your mental illness?
3: I'm bipolar, axis one, Um, mostly deal with depression to suicide.
0: How do you explain that to people when people ask, what does that mean?
3: Well, I usually don't tell many people unless they're closer. Um, I'm also a member of AA, and so we share a lot there. But um, when I'm in the hospital, I have to explain myself, um, you know, where I've been and why I've been on a locked ward.
0: Why is it that you're reluctant to tell most people?
3: Because I'm afraid that they'll turn their backs and walk away.
0: How does that make you feel that you have to sort of deal with that, that you're afraid that people would turn away? Because, you know, clearly you're a lovely woman. You're a creative woman. I've seen your work. But how does that make you feel?
3: It makes me feel pretty lousy. I feel, well, I, I do feel discriminated upon because I can't share a secret, which is mostly my personality and my... You know, when I'm depressed and, um, and I'm, or I'm very manic. Um, luckily, my, with my, my maniaism, my creativity comes out. But um, with my depression, I, I tend to be more suicidal.
0: You are a very creative woman. Like I said, I saw your ballerina. But uh, tell me about the art that you do. What do you like to do?
3: Well, I love to sculpt, and that came out... Um, I was in the theater industry for 35 years as an actor, director, and choreographer. And um, when I got ill... I couldn't do any of those things. I sort of hibernated in a locked ward for 30, well, for three months. And I started drawing. I started writing a journal, and I couldn't look at anybody in the face. I just knew people by their shoes. And I started writing and started drawing. And I always liked working with clay, and I made this one little clay thing um, when I got out of the hospital and my husband said, where did you get that? And I said, well, I made it. And he said, no, you didn't. So the next day I made 13 more and put them under the broiler in the basement and cooked them. And he said, oh my gosh. And so I started to look and study sculpture books. And uh, so I'm sort of a self-taught, although I've gone to the artist league now, but they sort of just let me do my own thing, which is like having a studio again. And um, I just really enjoy sculpting, and now I'm learning how to paint. And I've written two books which have been published this year. Um, one's A Children's Story, and, um, which is a sequel. I'm writing the second one now. And then one's my memoirs of my early beginnings of you know, understanding myself and my disease and my bipolarism.
0: What do you want to, I know you don't, you, as you said, you don't um, talk about it to everyone, but what do you want the world to know about you, Robin? Not your not your diagnosis, but about you. If you were to say, my name is Robin, and this is who I am.
3: Well, my name is Robin, and I just believe that anyone can do anything they set their minds to with no stigma attached. I, I believe that I can work through my um, disorder and... Through the arts that I do, it's my other voice. It's the the other part of my mind which I can't control. So I feel like I can give back to the world what it's given me, what Fountain House has given me, what AA has given me, is an order and a, and a, a pathway to life, and also spiritually. I've um, grown, but um, I would like to just give whatever I have that I'm supposed to give to life and um, and what I get in return is just benefit.
0: Robin, thank you so much for your time.
3: You're welcome. Thank you, George, very much. Good luck.
0: My name is Billy. And, Billy, what is your mental illness? What were you diagnosed with?
4: My diagnosis is major depression and anxiety disorder.
0: What do you want other people to know about you, Billy?
4: I'm kind. I'm friendly, gentle, compassionate. I'm a... um, Good conversationalist um, I love exercising, working out, walking, um, traveling uh, I lead a very productive uh, life and most people with, with mental illness uh, do do lead very productive lives. I think sort of cast as something that we 're totally not the stereotype is is so far from the, the truth of um, the who we truly are in the lives we
0: lead. So it takes brave folks, folks like yourself, to to talk about it and uh, help to uh, really put a different kind of face than what we see in in the media. Very important uh, and very courageous to do that, right?
4: Yeah, yeah. I think that the media could uh, use a lot, a lot of, I guess, positive reinforcement of how how it really is. Out there
0: anything else, Billy, that you think we should know about or uh, you would want to share with me
4: Well, that oftentimes I think people with a diagnosis such as myself, a lot of people don 't really understand exactly how hard it is to do things that so many people take for granted it, it 's such an unfortunate reality of the experience with mental illness uh, to just get up and come here, like for instance, can be somewhat of a challenge. It it hasn't been an easy life, but um, it's really been a a humbling experience in many ways because I've overcome so much. I I think the future holds a lot of good things in regards to the treatment options that will be available, medications are getting better. Many people also uh, do recover from mental illness. It's not uh, like a permanent uh, like life sentence. It can uh, and does improve.
5: My name is Cyrus Napolitano.
4: And Cyrus,
0: what's your um, mental illness?
5: My mental illness diagnosis is bipolar 1 with uh, anxiety disorder and OCD.
0: Have you encountered any type of stigma uh, associated uh, with your uh, diagnosis?
5: It's interesting. The stigma that I think that I have felt most directed at myself comes from myself. I think that... We have a tendency, if you have a diagnosis of mental illness, to kind of berate yourself and beat yourself up that there's something that is deficient and wrong with me as a person. When you're looking at it as, in, as a more of a holistic way, you're seeing that that's only a part of who you are. I'm much more than that. And when I meet people here at Fountain House or from other clubhouses around the U.S., I don't want to know about your illness. I want to know about who you are as a person outside the illness, because that's only a small part of who you are. And that's kind of something that I try to work on here on a regular basis in dealing with people. You know, when I came here four years ago, I never thought that I would be doing public speaking on behalf of Fountain House or for representing people with mental illness. I've gone to Washington, D.C., to Capitol Hill to advocate for people. I've traveled uh, to Australia, I've traveled to Scandinavia, representing Fountain House, representing the clubhouse model. For me, it's about saving lives, and once you've saved that person's life, then you can help transform that life. That's That's really what's key, the transformation that can take place. And it is possible, it is real. And again, if you fall down and fail, there's somebody there to help pick you up and help you get back on your feet.
0: My thanks to the Fountain House for arranging interviews with their members and to the members for having the courage to share their stories. Getting back to work after a long period of recovery can be challenging for people living with mental illness. Enter JBFCS. They help people gain the skills they may have lost due to their illness to get back to work and rejoin their communities. Rebecca Wolf is the Assistant Executive Director of JBFCS. Rebecca, thanks so much for coming in.
6: Thank you for having me.
0: So what does your organization do to help combat the stigma of mental illness?
6: JBFCS um, works with people who are living with mental illness in combating uh, the stigma of mental illness by helping them define for themselves meaningful life role goals that they might have um, and helping them achieve them, things that uh, get them beyond their diagnosis.
0: So what services specifically do you provide?
6: So we provide uh, mental health counseling. Uh, We provide psychiatric rehabilitation, which really means that we help people develop and obtain or regain the skills that they may have lost or not developed due to their illness that they need in order to go back to work, to be successful in school, to live in the community, or to be in relationships.
0: So... Give me an example of the skills that someone might lose while they're dealing with their mental illness that you help them to regain.
6: Some folks who um, have mental illness they may lose or uh, their ability or the skills that they need to um, succeed for example in school. So concentration gets, impeded when you're struggling with hearing voices or depression or whatnot. And so we work with people to help them develop coping mechanisms as well as skills of listening, concentrating, focusing, um, so that they can regain and practice them so that when they're in a school setting or in a classroom, they're not struggling to pay attention and to be able to hear and listen and comprehend maybe what the professor is talking about.
0: What about housing? Do you help the mentally ill find housing?
6: Yes, we do. We help provide housing for people who are mentally ill in a variety of settings. Um, many folks who are struggling with mental illness have also encountered some period of homelessness, um, some disruption in either a family uh, living situation, or they've found themselves in a hospital or unable to pay rent and maintain their own apartment, maybe because of a loss of income or a job. And so we provide people with housing, Uh, either in a a building, a congregate care setting, or in scattered site kind of apartments that are located throughout the neighborhoods of the five boroughs of New York City, uh, where people can live in their own apartment and pay a portion of their income for rent. And uh, in addition to the housing, we provide people with support services.
0: As an organization, do you find yourself having to combat the stigma, having to explain to people that these folks are just like you and me, they just need a little bit of extra help.
6: Yes, absolutely. So in our housing programs, we rent a lot of apartments from landlords in the New York City area. And so we find ourselves often doing a lot of education uh, with landlords about folks who are living with mental illness, that they are actually uh, the same as the neighbors and the people already in the building in many, many ways. And so we find ourselves answering questions and combating stigma. Uh, One of the most common stereotypes that we run into is that people who are living with mental illness are violent. Um, And so we find ourselves really talking about how the cases of violence and people who are mentally ill are very few that actually people who are living with mental illness are more harm to themselves than to other people, which often gets skewed based on a few kind of high-profile cases in the news.
0: Do you have a campaign that's specific to combating the stigma of mental illness?
6: Yes, our organization has undertaken a campaign that places public service announcements in bus kiosks and elevator banks that uh, tries to draw attention to mental illness and to the fact that people can recover as a way of combating stigma.
0: Rebecca, thanks so much for coming in.
6: Thank you so much.
0: Rebecca Wolf is the Assistant Executive Director of JBFCS. You can learn more about their efforts to combat the stigma of mental illness at jbfcs.org. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. For more information about the organizations featured on today's show, visit wfuv.org slash cityscape. And for more information about WFUV's Strike a Court campaign, visit wfuv.org slash strike I'm George Boraki. My thanks to senior producer Marlene Chin. Have a great weekend.